0: Welcome back.
1: (laughs) Sound effects brought to you by Mike Watkins. Uh, Welcome back to Arts Interrupted. Um, I'm Avery Friedman.
0: And I am Mike Watkins, sound effect guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We are here to bring you another installation of our genre bender series. This week we'll be bringing you a discussion with The Daily's own managing editor, Dayton Hare, about his love for classical music. But before that, we would love to give you a little arts roundup of what's going on in the uh, pop culture scene this week
0: we got a big celebrity breakup Wah-wah. hate to see it <laughs> pete davison and ariana grande
1: i think it's ariana <laughs>
0: <She>? <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> um, well regardless of how her name is <coughs> pronounced they are done they famously got engaged after dating for, like, two weeks. They got, m- like, multiple couples' tattoos.
1: Song on her newest album called Pete Davidson.
0: It's just his name?
1: Yeah. Well, shit. we could play a little snippet for you here.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, so hate to see it, but I don't know. Maybe it's for the best. And... In the theme with Halloween coming up, the classic horror film Halloween, appropriately named, has been revamped. And it's not the first time this has happened, but this one is getting a lot of attention because it's not related to any of the sequels that uh, the original Halloween is related to. So it's kind of a brand new, fresh take. And interestingly enough, the director, uh, when speaking about the movie, said that he thinks he's quietly made a very feminist horror movie which is pretty interesting.
1: David Gordon Green better be telling the truth when he says that. Yeah, um, yeah. I look forward.
0: And it, it's gotten some good reviews, so check it out.
1: Amazing. Also, I've been plugging this for like three weeks, but the State <laughs> Theater is still having a like scary movie series where they're screening, well, not screening because you have to pay for it, but they're showing scary movies at night leading up to Halloween. So on Friday the 26th, you can catch The Exorcist at 9.30 at the State Theater. And Saturday the 27th is The Bubba Duke. Um, which I've heard some crazy things about, so check those out for sure. Before Halloween hits, you guys should join me in in seeing Porches and Girl Pool at L Club in Detroit at 8 p.m. on Sunday, October 28th. Um, I'm super excited to see these two indie powerhouses together in Detroit.
0: And uh, a little preview for our next episode to get you excited already, um, given the upcoming holiday. We're going to have a little Halloween-themed episode, and we may or may not be taking a trip to a psychic to uh, have her her fates laid out in front of us.
1: Yeah, that's definitely what we're going to do, so (laughs) you should look forward to that. (laughs) So with that, we can launch right into this week's installation of our genre bender series. Um, with host Mike Watkins and film writer Steven Satterino interviewing Dayton Hare about his love for the genre of classical music. So thanks for tuning in.
2: Oh, that's Messiah, isn't it? No, no, that's, hold on.
0: I can't go that high. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> exactly that one. Man, that's like <laughs> from the <laughs> <era of> music <laughs> <got> blocked <laughs> out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> phone a friend. It's is spring. It, right? Is it Vivaldi? It is Vivaldi. Yes. yes. Ding, ding,
2: ding. I deliberately avoid him. Oh, it's all right, right. Oh. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, it's less that I hate him than I'm just not interested in him, Right. Um. and it's just an era of music that I'm not fond of. It's and not just him. It's like most of his contemporaries also. What era was that? It was the Baroque era. He was born in like 1678 or something. Um. Yeah, just like that whole few decades afterwards I'm not terribly fond of. Could you give... Uh,
3: those of us who are not as familiar with the baroque period two other baroque composers not do five we'll do two like are there others that that we can just yeah just so we can just like like drop a pin in that era and like get a sense sure
2: sure so the most famous ones uh would definitely be uh bach who i'm sure you've heard of and and he's someone that i actually admire quite a lot i like his music um it does a lot of interesting things but um A lot of his contemporaries I'm not so into. Like, another one is Handel, who's famous for Messiah. Um, And, I mean, obviously they were talented composers who had interesting things to say, but they're just not things I'm particularly interested in hearing right now.
0: All right, so let's sort of broaden this scope a little bit so we can hopefully narrow it. We are talking about classical music, which seems to me to be a very broad term mm-hmm. that covers many periods and many evolutions that if we were to have lived in those periods would be very obvious to us. Mm-hmm. But for me, I know next to nothing about classical music. And when I hear strings and sort of like a marching-ish melody, I just like throw it in the classical category. So if you could give us like a working definition of classical music, if that's even possible, and maybe why you appreciate it and what kind you appreciate.
2: Sure. So you you were hinting at something that I think is very important is that it's difficult to pin down a specific definition because it's such a broad swath of time that we're talking about with so many different people involved. So, I mean, broadly speaking, classical music, quote-unquote, is it's just a particular tradition of concert music that is created and written down by a composer and then uh, performed by a variety of other people, depending on whatever it's scored for. And it was traditionally sort of music of religious institutions and the aristocracy of society, at least originally. So it has always been a sort of privileged form of music and has been preserved um, in a way that A lot of popular music of the day wasn't because of that, but it's undergone so many radical transformations um, along with society generally over the last several centuries that it's really something entirely different now. Um, There's been a huge splintering, especially in terms of uh, style and genre. It's just a lot broader and a lot more complicated than it used to be.
0: So what would you say is your realm of of classical music? What What are you personally fond of?
2: I'm fond of a lot of things, but what interests me the most is the music of today, um, people that are not dead and are writing, <laughs> again, quote-unquote classical music. But that, again, is a very different thing from what most people think of when they hear the term classical music.
3: So could you give us an
2: example
3: that m- maybe we would recognize, like like something that you've listened to from a contemporary artist?
2: Sure, I can, I can try. One thing that is like contemporary classical music that has sort of broken into the mainstream, you say the work of Caroline Shaw, because she she had a collab with Kanye a bit ago, and that sort of catapulted her into um, a broader audience.
0: Now am awake, sleeping.
2: So she has a, a really famous piece for which she won the Pulitzer Prize, actually, called Partita for Eight Voices. It was um, composed for a vocal ensemble of which she's a part called Full of Teeth. Um, they just do a lot of sort of experimental vocal performance things, drawing from musical traditions throughout the entire globe. So that's something that some people uh, mm-hmm. might be familiar with, even if they're not within the very niche community that I am. Uh, I'm a composer myself, so that's... That's why I, I know a fair bit about this, but that's something that people could probably like on to. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so we're doing this thing where we are going to listen to a piece that you recommend real quick that would kind of exemplify what we're talking about. So what would be an example, maybe the, this Caroline Shaw yeah. piece that you were talking about?
2: Yeah, we could start with that. Okay, um, what was that called again? Partita for Eight Voices. Um, and it's sort of an interesting thing because it's a piece that is once very contemporary and referential to the you know classical tradition mm-hmm. in that a partita was a piece that actually came up, or a type of piece, a genre, that came up a lot during the Baroque era that we were talking about before. And it's, it was then for a solo instrument to perform and it was like a, a suite of dances um, they have particular rhythmic characteristics and such. And what she did is she took that basic concept of a dance suite and applied it to a vocal ensemble of eight people, which is very interesting to me.
3: To the side. To
2: the side. And, to the around,
1: side and around and around. And around and, and around. And around, around, right. and to, around. Right. to the side. Two, three, four, and five, six, seven, eight. Through the midpoint. Two, three, the left side. four. Left, side. And, left, and, right. left and, around and and around and, right. and around. And, right. Right. and around and around. And left around and around. And around and around.
3: Morning. that that was uh that was fantastic that was really, that was really gorgeous
2: yeah she's a good composer it yeah.
3: like it like was ramping to something I, what do you remind me of okay now this isn't a disparaging comment but it reminded me of in 2001 when you see like the monolith and like like the the sounds of I guess the gods start Mm -hmm. like it's like this eerie buzzing Mm -hmm. um and that's like that as it like got to that note and it started resonating that's what it reminded me
2: yeah and it's interesting that you you bring up 2001 actually because that's a good example of one of the ways that sort of avant-garde uh, classical music has permeated culture more broadly because so obviously kubrick uses a whole lot of um of classical music from the repertoire in his movie he has um the blue danube yeah exactly the blue danube by strauss features prominently but also another strauss Richard strauss has a very famous sort of planetary sunrise that Music going on then is his. The blah, yeah, exactly. Blah.
3: That's it. That's Strauss too. Yeah, it's oh, from yeah.
2: a it's from a symphonic piece called <laughs> Yeah, it's really cool. But in addition to that, he featured the work of someone who was at the time a living composer um, named Ligeti, was a a Hungarian composer that did a lot of really interesting things in a lot of different areas. He drew a lot on folk traditions in a way that predecessors of his, like Bartók, did, but he also made some really serious innovations in, in like avant-garde, cutting-edge concert music. And a lot of the soundtrack of 2001 actually draws from that. Like, there's a choral piece of his called uh, The Requiem, which is very terrifying to hear, actually. it's just a very uh, disturbing piece and it's used in that movie very effectively.
3: What are your big moments that uh, classical has like gotten into popular culture, like like broken through?
2: Yeah, I think that, that film music is probably the greatest example of um, the sort of classical style breaking into more of the popular imagination. And there's a lot of really interesting work being done in the the film score area. There's a lot of very creative and very talented composers doing things there. I mean, the person that comes to mind first, obviously, is someone like John Williams who mm. writes these lush, large-scale orchestral compositions for movies. He did Star Wars? Yeah, he did Star Wars, he did E.T., he did Jaws, he did tons of things. Um, he's probably, in terms of film music, he's, he's the most recognizable uh, composer that's worked in that genre. But more than that, there are people that are sort of trying to incorporate um, stranger music, into films in a way that's very appealing to me personally people like johnny greenwood who is actually a guitarist for radiohead but he also does a lot of uh, classical composition for films he uh, has collaborated with paul thomas anderson on things like there will be blood which is just a a marvelous score i think And so i think that that's probably the best example of classical music starting to push its way into Mm -hmm. popular imagination
0: on sunday at our daily meeting I overheard you talking about this thing in the world of classical music where more conservative, traditional classical music fans had a certain distaste for more Mm avant-garde composers and their listeners. Do you want to speak a little bit more on that kind of like generational trend?
2: Sure. I don't know if it's fully generational, strictly speaking, but it's definitely a reality of the of the classical music world that avant-garde music hasn't been accepted by the broader classical community in the same way that, for instance, modern visual art has been accepted. You don't have people coming to concert halls and just selling out the house and packing the whole building to listen to um, someone like Ligeti, for instance, in the way that people go to MoMA to, like, stand for hours in front of, like, Jackson Pollock or something like that. So there's been this this great uh, disparity between how successful the different genres of art have been in integrating radical elements, and for whatever reason, classical music has had a harder time building a large-scale audience for the more radical sounds. And I, and I think that part of that has to do with just the Sheer amount of capital that it takes to put on uh, performances of classical music. I mean, concert halls, orchestras, all of that is very expensive and uh, it has to be funded by someone. And the people that fund it oftentimes have more conservative tastes. Not to mention that there's this whole sort of museum culture that we've built up around the traditional repertoire and we've sort of deified particular composers like Beethoven or Mozart and so it's kind of been calcified in the way that we we approach our our music habits but that that is changing to a certain extent places like the LA Philharmonic have been really really excellent about commissioning new composers performing new work Uh, even the Detroit Symphony Orchestra has been good about this and so I think that we're starting to see a shift in the culture towards paying more attention to people that are active today.
0: So were you raised on classical music? How, how did you get into the genre and develop that appreciation?
2: I wasn't really raised on it. I sort of found it on my own, actually, through film scores. I, I liked them quite a lot. And I suppose just reading on the Internet about influence on the composers of film scores just led me deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole
0: around when was that like how old were you mm,
2: It was probably about 14 or 15 oh wow okay. yeah
0: so did you indulge in popular music like what what did you like before you discovered classical
2: I never really loved anything before I discovered classical <laughs> I know it, sound, it sounds silly um and and now I listen to a lot of things I, I'm not an exclusively classical listener by mm-hmm. any means but Before that, I don't think there was any particular genre that was really, really attractive to me.
0: Uh, So one last thing. If you could kind of ball up your ideas about classical music, given that it's a relatively underappreciated genre today in in terms of the average music listener, what would you say as a plug for the genre?
2: Hmm. I would say that the best thing I can say on its behalf is that classical music is a very diverse body as a genre there's a lot going on in it and a lot of it's very different from the other things going on in it and so at least in my opinion there's really something for everyone there's just so much happening that if you dive into it and look a little bit you're probably going to find something that you really like
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Arts Interrupted. We'd like to thank Dayton Hare for laying down that knowledge on classical music and Stephen Santorino for some insights on 2001 A Space Odyssey.
3: Arts Interrupted is hosted by Mike Watkins and Avery Friedman. Our audio engineer is Ryan Cox. And the intro music is done by Brad Gerwin.
1: The podcast is produced by me, Olive Scott.
3: And me, Sean Lang.
1: We now have two new producers, and here's their names.
3: John Fabian
1: and Livy McKenzie. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next week to talk about some spooky stuff. Do you want to do one more imitation of her? Sure. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa!